welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcasts, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature center paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Good morning, good evening, good night, good second breakfast, whenever you are, wherever you are. My name is Laura Gonzalez, and I'd like to welcome you to Lunatic Mondays, Lunes Lunaticos, the very first bilingual show for CSMP, the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast. And today I'm here with Jake Bradley doing yet another Lunatic Mondays social justice series. It is September. It's Hispanic Heritage Month. What does the word Hispanic mean? And why do so many people prefer the term Latino? Some prefer Latinx. And some who might fit these definitions don't identify with any of these terms. Are there things, I'm sorry, I'm reading and I always messed up when I read. Are there things that are Spanish speaking people have in common? How do racism, colorism, xenophobia, and other systems of oppression impact the lived experience and identities of people of the Americas and beyond? What can Anglo-Americans do to disengage nationally, nationality, privilege, and show allyship with Latin American and or Hispanic American people? Of course, I butchered that reading because my emotions are invested on it. And, you know, I don't know how to read, apparently. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Jake. How are you? You got some feelings about this, Laura? A few. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Then we've all come to the right place for this conversation. Um, I'm doing okay. I'm excited to have this conversation with you during what um, is called His Hispanic American, Hispanic Cultural Month, I guess, on my calendar. Um, and I think there's lots of subtlety and nuance or not even subtlety or nuance. Um, but, you know, lots of people have, um, you know, some deeply held preferences, beliefs and awareness and insight about all these terms and constructs um, because they are all constructs and mo in most cases constructs made by, you know, colonial um, Anglos and so on, um, you know, and most of us don't even think about or know about how these constructs came to be, these identity terms and identity terms and so on. So I'm excited to um, unpack it all with you today. I'm excited too. I I solemnly swear not to get mad, um, but it's kind of hard not to get mad when when you grab, no you Jake obviously, but you or you'll you. <laughs> royal yeah when you grab all people that look a certain way and it is assumed that we're all from the certain regions and then you put all those people in a bag and then you label the bag hispanic and my first issue which i will have a lot of issues on the show but the first one is um hispanic and I know that Anglo-Americans labeled us Hispanic because it's easier for them. And I am assuming 
that is a label that was based on the language, right? That we speak Spanish. But what people don't understand is that when they call us Hispanic or Spanish, especially the majority of people calls us Spanish. Spanish is a language, yeah, but Spanish is a nationality. And Spanish are those people who are originally from uh, the Hispanic Peninsula, those who are born on Spain uh, and all those beautiful cities, you know, Barcelona and Catalonia and this and that. But those are the people who are Spanish or Hispanic. So when they utilize the word Spanish or Hispanic to define all of us folks from Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Venezuela, et cetera, et cetera, you are low-key recolonizing us. And that will be the hill in which I die because I am not Spanish and I am not Hispanic. I particularly am Mexican. And I think I've said this many, many times on this show or others and to people who know me, I think it's best to ask the person you know, if you must know, if you must know where the person is from, ask them directly. So what is your nationality? What should I call you? Are you Mexican? Are you Colombian? Are you Argentinian? Are you Brazilian? Etc. Um, but I don't think it helps anyone, especially to use the word Hispanic or Spanish, because it recolonizes us. Um, a lot of people rather use the word Latino or Latinx. And I guess is the less of two evils, but the same with Hispanic or Spanish. Latino supposedly defined us by the words that we use, by the language that we use. Um, Spanish language, the root of Spanish language is Latin. And therefore, everyone who speaks Spanish is deemed as Latino. But surprise, surprise, there are other languages that are also rooted on Latin, the old Latin, um, such as Italian, French, and Portuguese. So by that definition, by that definition, uh, Italian people will be Latino, French people will be Latino, uh, Portuguese people from Portugal will be Latino, and Brazilian people are Latino indeed, uh, but it will be rooted on the language. And some people say, oh, but I'm talking about Latin America, or the people in America who speaks Latin, they're the only Latinos. No, <laughs> Google is free. There are Latino people in Africa, there are Latino people in Europe, there are Latino people, and again, because it's defined by the language. Nowadays, I think for the last 20 years, or at least I started noticing when I immigrated to the United States, which is a whole another bag of uh, unpacking how a Native American living in the geopolitical area called United States is an immigrant but that's a, that's a different bag of toys. Um, there are people in the United States who identified more with the word Latino because the world has evolved and like everything with language, right? It evolved in its own pace. 
And now the younger generation define Latino or Latinx as people who identified with culture from Latin America, music from Latin America, um, cultural traits, dance, and kind of like more Caribbean um, rooted with Black roots and Spanish roots and American roots all together, that'll be like the Latinx identity, which coincidentally, I don't <laughs> abide by. I don't like the WEPA music. I don't like uh, that kind of like Caribbean culture. It's just not my thing. I grew up in Mexico City. It's a completely different. I guess I was very Americanized before I even came to the United States. So, so if you ask me, you know, if I identify as Latinx, maybe the last, the least of two evils, I will pick Latinx. And then um, for the last, I don't know, probably five years, maybe more, um, instead of Latina or Latino, because in the language, in Spanish language, everything is gendered. And I mean, everything is gendered. Your nails are gender, your chair is gender, your notebook is gender, everything has a gender. So if you refer to a person as Latina or Latino, it should be, you know, uh, women or men. But because we are trying to be more inclusive to all genders, um, people started putting the X at the end as non-gender and then fire. And then it became Latinx in English. And now I hear people from Latin America saying Latine you know, which is not Latina or Latino, but Latine uh, without the X. And that includes everybody. So that is a very loaded question. <laughs> and if you were to ask me, and I'm sure you you personally know, Jake, and a lot of people who know me personally, I'd rather you call me Mexican than any of all the other monikers. But it is like with everything a personal preference and if you absolutely need to identify a person by one of these uh, identifier terms before deciding oh this is a latinx person or this is a latine or this is a latina latino or this is a spanish person or hispanic person i would ask if you absolutely need to define that person by their nationality or cultural identity i would ask but if there is something that is not necessary, for example, if they are your doctor, I don't think you need to know their nationality. If they are your EMT, I don't think you need to know their nationality. Or if you are serving them in any way, shape, or form, if you are their lawyer or whatever, I don't think you need to know unless you absolutely need to know. So that is the one thing that I will talk about. The term Hispanic, I hate it. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. And I'm sorry, I have a bunch of noise in my background right now. Um, if it's problematic, I can um, I can wait until it's over with before I ask my next question and you can just I continue hear to share you. your thoughts. You Go can't ahead. hear the noise? Nope. Okay, great. Um, so I think a thing that you started sort of pointing out is that um, these terms were rooted in the process of colonizing the world um, and setting up 
the idea that certain um, parts of the world are not so much identified by where they were, where they are, who they were before colonizers came, but they're more identified by who thought they could take ownership of the places and the people. Um, and, you know, ethnicity is really complicated around the world, except that lots of folks in dominant culture in the United States um, just really oversimplify it in um, unfortunate ways. And, you know, often the word Hispanic is the only kind of ethnicity that we recognize, like, you know, on, on documents, um, you know, if you're filling out forms and stuff, either you're Hispanic or you're not Hispanic. And there are the, the, only those two ethnicities in the United States, which is, you know, ridiculous because obviously not everybody who isn't in quotes Hispanic is the same ethnicity at all. You know, it's a world full of people who come from all over the world in, in you know, places and heritages and culture groups and language groups that are not associated with Spain. Um, those folks are not all the same as each other, just as like Laura has said, all the folks who come from countries or cultures or language groups associated with the colonial or colonizing country of Spain are not the same as each other. People from Chile are not, you know, identical in their heritage and culture as, you know, people who, for example, were born in and grew up in Los Angeles inside the United States and are US citizens, but are still, you know, very much Latin, Latin in, in culture or whatever language we might want to use in culture or whatever, because, you know, the United States is Latin America. We're full of people from um, cultural heritages that have to do with, um, you know, cultures and peoples and histories and places um, that are from other parts of, of this continent and from the Americas in general. And so it's all really messy. Um, and the thing that's the worst about it is all the assumptions and projections that we make about people. And we assume that someone who's brown or that we sort of clock or read as Hispanic or Latin X, Latino, Latina, we assume that they are immigrants that they have immigrated here that that you know their ancestors did if they didn't um and that you know they don't in quotes belong here um in the united states um which obviously is ridiculous because almost all of us have ancestors who immigrated here either um you know by choice or by coercion with the slave trade um and in a lot of ways um most folks from uh you know the middle america's places and cultures and heritage um have much more rootedness in um nativeness in this continent than um us anglo people whose um ancestors definitely immigrated here um and so on and so the way that um you know, people's sort of skin color and how they project their identities and their heritage, the way that's attached to otherness and foreignness and the ideas of immigration and um, all of that and, and nationality and 
legal status, that's all just so wrapped up in racism and colorism and nationalism and all sorts of really unfortunate and super colonizing and oppressive ways that dominant culture in the United States sort of keeps projecting this idea that some of us belong here and others of us are um, usurpers. And, you know, it's pretty obvious who the usurpers are when you think about things that way. Um, but thanks for explaining that terminology and sort of how that lands on people. And, you know, I don't think we need to go around assuming that because someone's brown or because they have certain accents or because they might speak Spanish or we assume they speak Spanish um, or things like that, that somehow they, you know, they are immigrants, that they aren't from the United States, that they somehow have arrived recently, that maybe they even don't have authorization to live here, um, you know, wherever it is that they are making those assumptions is just inappropriate and assuming that, you know, that someone that we sort of clock as not white or not non-Hispanic is somehow, you know, has a culture or heritage that we have a right to know about and that we should be labeling and we should be labeling it vis-a-vis non-Hispanic culture and heritage or whatever, like you're either Hispanic or you're not. Um, you know, is all really unfortunate, I think. And so I appreciate your trying to parse that out for us, Laura. You know what's um, funny? I have, because I'm a Mexican from Mexico, and I say that jokingly, uh, for those who have TikTok and have seen my TikToks, all my TikToks I do are about being Mexican from Mexico. And, and I jokingly say, you know, it's a thing. Because it is a thing, you know, um, I, by hearing you right now, I, the coin just dropped that when I was explaining about Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, my mind was only set on the people who are quote unquote immigrants. And again, that is a completely different bag of toys because I wish somebody could explain to me how we people to na native to this land ended up being immigrants. And when we say the border crossed us, we are now being melodramatic. I mean, you can't study history, the history of the United States and how the land was obtained, almost coerced or robbed. That's why we cry out land back, all of us who are indigenous. But also, I discovered by hearing you, Jake, how my mind is so set up still on being Mexican. And that all was even without counting all the Latin American people who exist within the United States. We are not one kind of people. I mean, Mexican people from Mexico are not one kind of people. Mexico, if you look at a map, is also continental. We have out going to one ocean, we have out going to the Gulf of Mexico and then another ocean. Um, we have a huge border with the United States that is just as continental as the continental United States. And in Mexico City alone, I think there's 80 million people. So it is ironic to think that we are one kind of people. I mean, some of us are from the mountains, some of us are from the coast. Some of us are from the city and some of us are from very rural areas. 
and culturally we're completely diverse and different. But what I was trying to say is, uh, then you also have the Mexican Americans or the um, any other country slash Americans and not the Anglo-Americans obviously, but I'm talking about the people who look brown, uh, brown, black or otherwise ethnic uh, who may or may not have roots on any Latin American or Spanish speaking culture and that they are here and they are, and I will speak about what I know as a Mexican, they are a completely different kind of Mexican and Mexican-Americans and Mexicans are different. And Mexican-Americans who are first, second, third generation, they are different from each other and they are completely different from us. And then you find a lot of Mexican-Americans who are not um, familiar with the language because back in the 40s and 50s, if you spoke Spanish, it was almost like a crime. I mean, people got beat up and um, just kind of deported on the spot or highly bullied and or beat up for speaking Spanish. So now things have changed a little bit. There's a little bit more of acceptance to us speaking our language or mother tongue but there's still a lot of bullying. There's still a lot of racism. I know firsthand. And this is the reason why I don't like when Anglo-Americans come and speak Spanish to me when we first met. Um, a, it's offensive. I know I look brown, but what gives you the right to assume that you need to speak Spanish to me? And B, we have been beaten up by generations for speaking our language. And it is an extremely privileged situation uh, when people who are not Spanish speakers come and try to extract some Spanish words from us. When you have taught us by blood, and I mean by beatings, not to do it. It is very loaded. And like I said, you know, I was trying not to get upset, but there is also the, heritage, and this is directly from Spain, uh, the caste system, which has evolved into colorism. And the way that that work is, of course, everyone in the Americas, or I would like to say America, um, we are taught outside of the United States, I don't know if you know this, Jake, but outside of the United States, America is one continent. We don't even call it the Americas. Uh, yes, we say North America, Central America, and South America, but it's one America. And indigenous trade was living, it was a living culture from Alaska to Patagonia. And indigenous Americans could go everywhere. And Tenochtitlan, what is now modern Mexico, uh, Tenochtitlan was one of the biggest trade centers in America. So people will freely go up and down the continent without a problem. So we do have uh, cousins everywhere and we are mixed everywhere because that's what humans do. They go around and then they mingle and then they make babies. And so all of us are one people. And 
romantically, yes, we are one people, but technically, yes, we are completely different people, completely different tribes. So when the Spaniards, when, when the colonizers came and they brought their diseases because it was a uh, um, biological warfare uh, and they brought their um, culture and religion to then terrorize uh, humans uh, spiritually and then the language to take our language away and implement a new language. So you take the spirituality, you take the culture and you break them down, of course, they're going to believe they are a different kind of people. So a lot of us people in America even have denied for a long, long time our native heritage because it was ingrained in us. And, and look at this. I mean, only a colonizer can think this way. I'm going to come. I'm going to disappear your people. So you now are not who you used to be. You are now a new kind of people, but you're not where you were. You're not native. You are different. You are something else. I mean, that is Machiavellic uh, to tell us that we don't exist anymore. And there are tales, right? Like that we are extinct, that we disappear. No, we're here. All of us, we're here. But they did that by a, a raping and pillaging, obviously. So now there's new babies that are made. And these new babies that are made mostly by violence. Uh, they look different, of course, because uh, genealogy is a thing. And when you start mixing phenotypes, people start coming out in different colors. And now they literally have this caste system based on color. And if you look, and for those who don't know me, I'm dark brown, or uh, I will be a very light-skinned Black person. I mean, I'm that dark. Um, and I will be considered, you know, like the lower caste. And then you have the middle caste, where people are kind of light brown, but still brown. You can still see the ethnicity there. So they will be like right in the middle. And those who are white, um, but they are mixed, they will be called, uh, considered, you know, like, oh, these are the good people. And this is what we all aspire to. So it was ingrained in us to mix, to mix with people who are lighter skin. And there is this horrible, terrible saying, uh, para mejorar la raza, literally, to better the race. So when you were slaves for 300 years, because those who don't know, Mexico was slave, enslaved by Spain for 300 years. And when you have been enslaved for 300 years, you believe or you believe. I mean, there is no choice. You have to believe what they tell you. So for 300 years, people in Mexico uh, were trying to, you know, better the race. And that is so ingrained, ingrained on, on our minds. And that is the root of colorism. And I mean, it's totally a colonial uh, construct. And nowadays you can still find people that, um, for example, when I marry my husband who is Mexican American, but also has European heritage to himself, um, people told me right away, you should have babies. So your babies come out. A little lighter you know so to do away with my color and it happens to this day 
in black and brown communities, Afro-Mexican or Afro-Latinx communities, where people say, you know, you should marry up. And I'm doing big air quotes because that's supposed to be marrying up. And um, that will um, better the race. So kind of like to put a, um, a little bit on, on a pause. I don't know what you will ask after uh, Jake, but this colorism permeates everything that we do in Latin America and it translates to the United States, of course. Not too long ago, there was a big hoopla on TikTok about being white passing. I'm not gonna give credit to those people, but um, it is a thing to be white passing or to be Anglo passing. And um, there is a lot of internal uh, xenophobia, internalized xenophobia on the Latino Latinx community. And there are people who choose because they look ethnically ambiguous, uh, they choose to deny their, their Latino heritage or their Latin roots. And you know what? People forget that we have to do whatever we have to do in order to survive. So, <coughs> excuse me, am I gonna hold it against them? I am not their judge. Uh, but again, everybody's different, you know, and and it is really traumatic and all of us carry that. So when you have, you know, oh yeah, the Hispanic Heritage Month, eh, it could be mixed, mixed feelings. But before I give you back the microphone, I just want to tap into why is September. Um, there are many, many countries that celebrate their independence from the colonizers on September and some of them, not only Mexico, Mexican independence is not Cinco de Mayo. Mexican independence is on September and uh, there are other countries who also celebrate their independence in September. Uh, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Chile and Mexico, just to mention a few. And those are from very South on the continent to central to North. Uh, because Mexico is part of North America. I know, shocking, right? But yeah, Mexico is part of North America. <laughs> Good. I, I just want to unpack the, the idea of sort of caste system and how that's, um, you know, projected on people from, um, you know, heritage of colonialism and it's all sort of rooted in white supremacy culture and things like that and you know just the double standards that that we have across the world are ridiculous and you know like you said Laura there are dozens of romance languages languages rooted in Latin vulgar Latin including Spanish French Italian Romanian and so on, but <clears throat> um, you know, if you you ask yourself, you ask Google, sort of, what's the best language? What's the sexiest language? What language sounds the smartest, or whatever? Um, you know, the world over, the idea is that French is the best language. It's the most exotic. It's the smartest. It's the sexiest. It's the most romantic. Um, and when people speak with a French accent, they're considered to be you know, uh, super attractive, um, smart, cosmopolitan, you know, desirable, superior in multiple ways. 
Um, you know, and to some extent that's true of Italian and maybe some of the other Romance languages. Um, but when someone speaks with a Spanish accent, um, especially if it's um, not the kind of Spanish accent that comes from particular parts of Spain, which is different from accents of people who speak Spanish and all over the rest of the world and especially across America, um, then you're assumed to be an immigrant, a usurper, a sort of lower class person. Um, people are meant to um, abandon Spanish as an original or additional language and try to eradicate their accent so that they can pass as, you know, American in quotes, which means white America, non-Hispanic America, um, you know, because when someone speaks with a Spanish accent, um, especially if they're brown, they're considered to be sort of a subclass or subcast of people. And this is around the world, um, but especially in the United States. Um, and, you know, the United States, which, you know, right now, the where the boundaries are drawn <clears throat> is vastly different than, than where they were drawn, you know, say 100 years ago or whatever. And, you know, until the middle 1800s, half of what's considered the United States was Mexico, for example, and, you know, was, um, and or was owned in quotes by Spain, and or France, and or, you know, other countries or whatever. Um, and so it's all so messy. And, um, you know, and yet we just sort of have these assumptions um, that, you know, the way we see the world um, or the way dominant culture projects about the world is kind of sacrosanct and the only way to see it and that, you know, the truth for all time and all that kind of nonsense. And, you know, just like, um, you know, people came from Spain or Portugal or France or um, England to other parts of the world and said, we like this place. This is going to be ours now. We're going to take all the resources. We're going to take the people. We're going to enslave them. But we're also going to import people from Africa and make them slaves in all these new parts of the world. Um, and this is all because, you know, those countries spent an immense amount of, of time and money on developing weapons, basically weapons so that they could dominate the rest of the world. Um, and you know, take other people's resources and land and so on. Um, but you know, just as back back then, in quotes, um, you know, these these countries and these people felt that the world was theirs to sort of take and um, exploit and enslave and so on. Um, we still have the idea um, in the United States, people who think of themselves as like proper Americans still believe that they have the right to travel anywhere they want in the world, live anywhere they want in the world. They don't get counted as immigrants when they live there. They shouldn't be somehow subjected to second class, you know, citizenship or whatever. And, you know, we still have people moving from other parts of um, the Americas or from North America further south to places that are considered desirable because they, you know, are on the coast or they have beautiful mountains or they have great scenery or food or culture or because it's really affordable to live there compared to how it is 
you know, how expensive it is in say New York or Los Angeles or Chicago or whatever. And, you know, the, the sort of colonizing continues, um, you know, to this, this moment. And, you know, if people go south, you know, for the winter, have a, a, a summer home in um, maybe in the Yucatan Peninsula, or they go to vacation um, in Cancun so that they can scuba dive and on the Cozumel Reef or whatever, that's the good life, you know, and those folks have, are considered to have been high achievers. Um, but when people move northward or immigrate or migrate, you know, because um, they want a better life for themselves, they want more safety, or they want to be with their families, or all the reasons why people might migrate from further south to further north, you know, those folks are considered to be usurpers, they're taking the jobs of real Americans, they're taking up space, they're using resources, you know, consuming medical care and all that kind of nonsense. And just the way we do double standards and projections around that is, is, is disgusting. And it's so rooted in, in white supremacy and in the idea that, you know, certain people of certain heritage have a right to be where they want and do what they want and take what they want and consume what they want because, you know, they are, we are de facto superior beings. And, you know, in some ways we think of that as like ancient history, but it's still so much a part of how we set up our thoughts and our understandings about geopolitical borders and processes and constructs around what counts as immigration. And obviously, like Laura, what you were saying, you know, human migration has been around since there were humans. And if there wasn't human migration, then, you know, humanity would still live in Africa, everyone. Um, and then, you know, after that, um, there would only be Native Americans here in this air, this land that we're currently on, and nobody with white skin um, who speaks, you know, any kind of European or Romance language or whatever. Um, but the idea that some of us, you know, that migration for some of us is is a legit way to live our lives, and for other people, it's, um, you know, it's wrong or, you know it sort of inspires ideas of desperation or whatever is, is just so unfortunate. I don't know if you that know, resonates with you. <laughs> Absolutely. And what we're seeing now is this modern colonization. Um, and for the love of God, if you're going to immigrate, call yourself an immigrant, stop using expat or expatriate. Because if you are white or Anglo, American, then you're an expat and it takes a completely different connotation. But if you're brown or ethnically quote unquote different from Anglo Americans, then you're an immigrant and words have meaning. I mean, we magical people, I don't know, words have meaning and they carry a lot of weight. And when you use the word expat, you are putting yourself in a different category than if you use the word immigrant and what people are doing is immigration and immigration yes has this is all as humanity hence we are different if humans didn't immigrate the phenotype 
the degeneration of color of eye, skin, etc. It wouldn't have changed. The darker the skin, the least amount of changes that your phenotype had. Your ancestors didn't emigrate so far, you know, but the lighter your skin, it just means your ancestors went further north or further south because they didn't need that much protection from the sun, hence their skin lose color and pigmentation. That's all it is. Also, skin color is three millimeters deep, an eighth of an inch. And that's what has the world divided is an eighth of an inch. And culturally, yes, we're different because cultures are different, you know, we're not a monolith. But going back to uh, the modern colonization is happening. It's happening as we speak and it's horrible and it's devastating the locals. And they're, they're, some people are choose to call it uh, gentrifying. It is not gentrifying because it's happening from one country to the next. So what happened is after the pandemic, everybody realized that you can work online, that you can work remotely. And, oh my God, how do I wish I could do that? I could work remotely, take $1, $1, make it 20 pesos and go live in Cancun. So what these white Americans, Anglo-Americans are doing is they're working remotely. They're making, you know, $50,000 a year or maybe more. There are some who are making 100000 150000 And they go to live in Mexico. So multiply 150000 by 20. That's a sweet deal. I mean, yeah, I wish everybody can have that deal. But A, not everybody can have that deal. And B, you're going to this land that you hate the people, mistreated the people, and now you're going to live on this land, demanding to be accommodated, demanding that people speak English, and gentrifying the areas. So homeowners in Mexico in these areas where Anglo-Americans are going to live are displacing the locals, raising rents, raising prices of everything that is needed and making bank with Anglo-Americans that are moving there and the local communities are separate. And then they have the audacity to call themselves expats. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's happening not only in Mexico. I highly, highly recommend a documentary that is called Eating Up Easter. Eating Up Easter. Uh, watch that documentary to also be aware of the ecological impact that this is causing to the planet. And if you don't want to go too far, if you don't want to go outside of this country, look up what is happening in Puerto Rico and what is happening in Hawaii or Hawaii, which is the wrong way to pronounce it. Um, look up Hawaii, look up Puerto Rico and it is exactly what is happening. You know, people are being displaced. There is all this um, 
modern colonization, etc. So, you know, the, the tone of the show, I know it has been intense, but I also want to tap, Jake, into things that people can do to, to celebrate uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. I hate that it's called that, but you know, can change history. It is what it is. So there are things that you can do, and this applied to Cinco de Mayo, and this applied to any other time that you want to support uh, Latinx people. I will say top of my list is guacamole, <laughs> aguas frescas, tacos. I mean, enough with trying to change the name of our food. You love our food, you like our food, you, you love avocado, you put it on your spread, you put it on your breakfast, you eat it with your tacos, etc. So call it what it is, it's called guacamole. And aguas frescas are called aguas frescas and an elote is called an elote. There is no such thing as Mexican corn salad or spa water because that's not what it is. So stop trying to erase people. Needless to say, our culture is not a costume. So please do not wear a Mexican hat or a sarape unless you are gonna go work on the fields. Oh, 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 because before I forget, make up your mind. Are we here to take your jobs or are we here to do jobs that you don't wanna do? Make up your mind because you cannot have it both ways, you know? Uh, but I digress, things that you can do to help. And let me breathe. <laughs> so uh, number one, educate yourself. Um, not everybody's Laura Gonzalez. Not everybody's so open to talk about this uh, prickly topics. Um, so beware of, there is something called Google. It's free. And you can go and research and learn a lot of things. Don't grab your first Latinx friend and ask them about heritage and all of that because the impact and the trauma is very, the wound is very open. The wound is very open. So not everybody is open to talk about education. Again, not everybody's Laura. I love to educate people and that's why I do this. And I try to keep my cool even though I might not have throughout the whole show. Um, another one that I will die on that hill, you've heard me say this a million and a half times, shop authentic. And I'm not talking about Taco Bell and Chipotle. Those are not authentic. I'm not talking about buying the Day of the Dead Barbie. That is not authentic. If you want to do authentic, go to the Mexican barrios, go to the Latinx barrios, uh, eat pupusas that are made from people from Venezuela. Don't eat pupusas from Taco Bell because they are not pupusas. What these companies do is they take the names of our food and they make whatever garbage and they feed you that. And that is not our authentic food. And that um, applies to artisanal work. Um, if you like the art, we... Latinx people are a little bit different from Native American people in the continental United States. And a lot of our practices for good or bad are not closed. So yes, you can do some of our practices, it's okay. But purchase from authentic Mexican artisans, please for the love of God, 
because when you shop from Walmart or Mattel, they don't need your money. But uh, Juanita or Jolanda or Laura need your money because we small artisans and you know self-employed people we need your money if i don't sell my art if i don't sell my oils if i don't sell my tarot readings i don't pay rent and i'm sure if you skip mattel one day that'll be okay and if you are gonna celebrate with your so-called spanish friends or latinx friends or whatever um ask them what is appropriate because if you're invited to uh, carne asada if you're invited to a mexican party um they might be things that are appropriate in the environment in which you're celebrating but if you come if i see you wearing a sombrero <laughs> i better than see you but if I see you, you know, I probably will ask you like, what, like, what is this? What are you trying to do? You know, because it's not, that's not the way to celebrate. Um, and most importantly, remember, we are not a monolith culture. I am tired, Jake, of people telling me, oh, but my other Spanish friends don't mind when I speak Spanish to them. Well, your other Spanish speaking friend might not have had the trauma, the bullying, and the xenophobia that I had when I first came to this country. And as, a, as the bilingual person in the conversation, I dictate. And no, I don't do Spanish unless you are from a Spanish-speaking uh, culture, you know. Or maybe if I pay you to be my tutor, and help me learn to speak Spanish um, so that I can practice. Um, but it's not your job to, to help me develop that skill or to sort of struggle along with me while I do it badly or whatever. And before I forget, Jake, I have to put this in. Why are people in Mexico or in other Latin American countries not as press for cultural appropriation, the language thing, et cetera, there is a very easy explanation. People who are in Mexico, and I'm gonna speak about the Mexican experience because as a Mexican, that's what I know. If I'm in Mexico and you come to Mexico and you try to speak Spanish, I think it's cute and it's fun and it's funny and we have fun with you. If you come to Mexico and grab a bottle of tequila and get drunk, oh my God, we love that. We love to see you loving our culture and we love to see you falling out drunk and we love to get drunk with you and have fun because we are in that environment. We are in Mexico. People who immigrate are more careful about their culture. We find it more precious. So when we are on this side, we don't have the luxury to laugh with you because we don't know for sure if you're celebrating or mocking, you know? So please understand that, oh, well, my friends in Mexico like it when I spoke Spanish. Yeah, because you were there and because they don't have to care for the preciousness of the culture. They don't have that fear of their culture 
going away from there, from them. When we are immigrants, and I will bet that that applies to any immigrant group, we became we become more careful about how we share all, our culture and cultural appropriation and cultural um, oh, what insensitivities are real. And not every person of Latin descent is equal. You might find immigrants, you might find um, people from Mexico who have been here 20 years and you say, hola, buenos dias, and they're gonna love you. I, on the other hand, immediately will tell you, I prefer English, thank you. Because it's, it has been weaponized against me, particularly me, Laura Gonzalez, that is my experience. So, you know, each one of us is different and just treat people as people, you know. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground um, and um, I appreciate you um, detailing some specifics near the end about ways that people can authentically honor and celebrate Hispanic heritage during Hispanic Heritage Month. I'm, I'm using quotes when I say that. Um, ways to sort of honor and appreciate rather than appropriate. And I know that um, we've had lots of opportunities in other contexts to um, talk about the difference between appreciation and appropriation. Um, you know, the difference between really honoring and celebrating a culture and sort of, um, you know, tinkering with it or ex experimenting with it or, um, you know, maybe mocking it or colonizing it even or whatever. Um, and so, you know, that's subtle and, um, you know, just like Laura is reminding us, reminding me to not make assumptions about somebody's identity and what words work for them or what their heritage or lived experiences, um, not assuming that I can take liberties with that person um, around their culture or identity or that I have the right to know particularities about it. Um, or to understand it, which I may never understand as a person who, you know, has white privilege and nationality privilege and stuff. Um, it's okay if I don't understand why someone else might be sensitive about a thing or have particular preferences that might not make sense to me um, or sort of be intuitive or whatever. Um, what matters is what, what that other person needs, what their truth is, um, what boundaries um, feel appropriate to them and things like that. So, um, you know, a reminder that cultural humility is a lifelong process and learning about other people um, and people who have different identity and lived experience and heritage than I do is um, a great adventure and a thing that I should not take for granted um, and a thing that I will never get done doing in my life, um, that I should never think I have finished. Um, so, you know, I shouldn't, um, ever think that I know all the answers and, you know, that I can make assumptions or whatever about other people and their, their, their preferences and their needs and their experiences and so on. Yeah. Are there other things, Laura, that you want to 
to share or mention or talk about to help round out our conversation? Just two that are very important. And um, the first one is, and I know this is going to be hard, so take a deep breath. Not every person of color that you see around you is a person that works in service. Please be mindful when you are on open spaces and there are like a fair or a, you know, anywhere. Uh, don't approach the first person of color that you see and ask them to service you. Because some of us, lo and behold, are there to enjoy the show or to participate on the market or whatever. Uh, this happens a lot and is one of the most subtle, not realized racist things that people do. And it happened a lot to people of color. So be mindful of that. And the second thing that I will say be mindful of is we are all learning. I love hearing you saying um, about cultural humility and it was because of you, Jake, that I learned about the privilege that I inhabit. I have cis marriage privilege. I have education privilege. I have cultural privilege, you know. So all of us have some kind of privilege, but some of us still have a lot of room to grow and learn. And a lot of us have judgments and biases that come from our cultural upbringing. So I think I've said this on every show, all of us are gonna mess up. And the word is not mess, is the other word with it. Uh, all of us are gonna do it. So, you know, take a deep breath, take a step back and see where you messed up and then learn from it and then move forward. Um, I like to thank you, Jake, for, for doing the shows and for helping us bring the space as the social justice series to do this kinds of conversations. Thank you for being here today. Uh, I think this is the longest we've ever done, uh, of course. <laughs> and thank you, Jake, for being here. I leave you the microphone so you can say goodnight to your audience tonight. Um, well, thank you, Laura, for continuing to um, help me learn and grow and to ed for educating me and for um, making a platform for us to work together to educate other folks. Um, because all we can ever do is educate each other and look for our own education and edification um, so that we can be in right relationship with other humans and non-human animals and the rest of the cosmos and so on. And, um, you know, in the context of that, I, I want to affirm not that it, not that it's up to me to affirm, but I want to affirm that it's completely legitimate to be upset about oppression and white supremacy and nationalism and all of the stupid assumptions that you know white people um who think of themselves as americans and think that they own that terminology um all the ways that we mess up um and you know all of the ways that that has made life obnoxious and painful um for you that's i you know i think Obviously, it's um, important to um, acknowledge and give room for that kind of righteous indignation, you know, and 
to affirm that um, that is the right response. That is, you know, the the most valid way to feel um, in navigating um, the world in the way we do racism and colorism and xenophobia and all those other things. And um, obviously, you know, one or the other or both of us is going to get wound up in the course of our conversations, um, you know, and different things will feel particularly tender to different ones of us or to both of us or to different people in our audience or whatever. Um, and I just want to sort of celebrate um, indignation and even rage, you know, as um, the, the kind of response that is part of resistance and part of um, survival and part of even sort of thriving um, in a world that wants to homogenize everybody and rank us and, um, you know, and sort of relegate lots of us for various reasons um, to sort of sub subhuman identities or to less worthiness and stuff like that. And um, I, I don't know if this is the longest conversation or episode we've had. Um, I feel like we could always talk for hours and days about all the things that we talk about. Um, but thanks for making this space with me and for being in this conversation with me. Um, and I'm saying that to Laura, but also to everyone who's listening live, everyone who's um, seeking this out and listening at some other time at your convenience. Um, and for all the ways that we are carrying on this conversation in our lives outside of this Lunatic Monday space, um, because we need to be having these conversations, all of us everywhere. Um, and the people who most need to be initiating these conversations, um, you know, as it as it pertains to Hispanic American, to Hispanic Heritage Month, are people who are not thought of as Hispanic, people who have white privilege and, and nationality privilege. We're the ones who need to be, you know, correcting all of the mess that we're heaping on people that we might think of as Hispanic in their heritage and so on. So thanks for being a part of this conversation with me, with us. Um, thank you, Laura. Thank you to everyone else. And I hope that you um, find some ways to celebrate um, and to affirm resilience and beauty um, as it, you know, shows up in your life and in your awareness this month. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jake. And thank you to everybody who will listen. Um, there are people who do this kind of work on YouTube, on Instagram, on TikTok, and they usually put their Venmo there for compensation. And I think it's a wonderful thing that people of color are empowering themselves and they are actually um, sharing their lived experience and then asking for a compensation because there is an, an enormous emotional labor that comes with speaking about your experiences with that said uh my venmo is there you can all you know if you feel invited and inclined go for it uh you can find it i know it's everywhere um but you don't have to i choose to do this labor i choose i choose to do this work and remember that not everybody is going to come and talk to you honestly and earnestly about their experience and with that said to all my friends who are uh, celebrating as well may we have a prosperous happy celebration because we not only have the struggles unique to our heritage 
but we also have joy and happiness. So let's celebrate ourselves completely, freckles and all. And uh, never forget two of my phrases. And with this, I will sign off. The difference between appropriation and appreciation is education. And never forget that you are loved. Bye-bye. And thank you for joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast, presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow the Nature Center paths. Join us here throughout the week for various programming connected to the community around the world. And please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. And follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcasts. We can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites, such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. And until next time, many blessings.